Hello, I'm Todd Fink, and you're listening to the Live Free or Dialogue. It's a series within my Kind Mind platform, which includes the Kind Mind podcast. And today I'm joined by Jeff Booth. Jeff is a visionary leader and tech entrepreneur with 30 years of experience, positioning him with unique insights into the exponential power of technology. He co-founded Build Direct, a company that aimed to simplify the building industry for nearly two decades through the dot-com meltdown, the 2008 financial crisis, and the many waves of technological disruption. Jeff has been featured in Forbes, Bloomberg, Time, and the Wall Street Journal, among many other publications. Jeff lives in Vancouver, and in 2015, he was named British Columbia Technology Industry Association's Person of the Year. And in 2016, Goldman Sachs named him among its 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs. And most importantly, Jeff is the author of the book, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. I've read this book multiple times this year, and those who listen to my podcast and are associated with my work know that uh, much of my interest is in the fields of psychology. My background is in mental health and creativity and music and, um, and meditation. But uh, it, as of late, working in the hospital, we'll have many clients, many patients talking about their anxieties around the economy, and also families have anxiety around climate change and, and what the future could look like for their children and whether or not they, they should have children. And so we're, we're finding new categories of anxiety, like eco-anxiety. And when I read um, Jeff's book, it was so inspiring to me to see the kind of holistic approach he was taking to the larger social problems from social psychology to game theory, to economics and geopolitical science. Jeff seems to get it. He understands that it's going to take a collaborative approach. We have to cooperate to solve the inequality and uh, the, the serious problems that are becoming um, more and more impactful every day. So um, I'm really grateful to be able to bridge this gap and to introduce you to Jeff, people who have a lot of questions about economics and the, the current crisis that we're in um, with inflation and labor shortage, supply chain shortage, and so on. So Jeff, thank you so much for taking time today. And could we begin by maybe having you share a little bit about what inspired you to write your book when you did? Yeah, my pl my pleasure, Todd. A real pleasure to be here. Funny, you you mentioned something about anxiety and what's happening today. I'm on a board of a hospital foundation oh. uh, here in Vancouver as well, and we see it too. Um, the rising suicides, the anxiety that's throughout the world, and people are being polarized into a fear based mentality from which it's hard to get out of. Um, they, they're losing hope in the future and, uh, and, and more and more of society is falling into that trap. And it is all kind of the reason I wrote the book in the first place, because I realized if I said the one reason primarily I wrote the book, I realized um, that we were in a, in a system change, but we were mis measuring the system uh, from the system and very unlikely to see the system change in front of us. Mm. Um, and going down the path that we think we're in would lead to terrible outcomes. It's primarily what I thought about my, the kids, the world which in which my kids would grow up in. I'd looked forward on that system change and I realized, why aren't people talking about what I talked about in the book? Why aren't people talking about 
um, this and, and and this is and, and this is so kind of primarily the book is uh, is about technology's force in our lives is to give us more for less. The entire thing, why we use technology is to Can bring- you explain that a little more, Jeff, how so, that how that works. Here's a good example of what we're doing right now. We couldn't have done 10 years ago. Right. And and what we're doing right now is literally free because when you take, when you embed things with technology, it reduces the price to almost nothing um, and, and more and more so. And that frees our time as it, redu- as, as it reduces the labor as a result. Um, and what's happening against that system. And then, by the way, that if you looked at your phone on the home screen of your phone and all the different apps, uh, um, look at how many photos you take today versus how many photos you took before. Look at the music you listen to today versus the music. To you. So, so it gives a whole bunch more people access to markets because the, it lowers the barriers of cost and the marginal cost of production literally falls to zero. So, so that's why we don't buy calculators anymore. It's on our phone. That's why we don't buy as many cameras anymore. It's on our phone. And, and as the marginal cost of production moves to zero, abundance flows. So, so that's the natural course in our lives, but we can't see it because that pro- pro- uh, productivity is being stolen by an inflationary monetary policy that must make prices go up forever or it collapses. So you have two giant things hitting each other and they're opposing forces. One technology that should be giving us more and more time as prices fall, but a system we've always lived in that we take for granted that must make prices go up forever. Because if you allow technology to reduce prices, the system itself, the credit-based system that we live in, unwinds. And it, because everything's based on credit, that what we thought were assets, the value of our housing, the value of banks, the what's sitting in the bank, it all falls apart as well. So you're living in a system change and hard to understand that system change because the system must keep, uh, keep doing it. And so when I looked out, when I looked out at that problem I real, and realized that most of the technology gains are in front of us, not behind us you could extrapolate what it really, what we're seeing in the world right now. Um, the book was released two years ago, but I'd been talking about this for 10 years, wondering why people couldn't put this together. Um, and, and I finally got mad enough to write the book. Is, is what, <laughs> I'm grateful that you did. Yeah. It's, it's a, such an important work. And what is the ordinary psychology then of common inflation, this annual the ordinary two two percent increase every year. So, so again, and, and this is going to be the first time a lot of your listeners are going to hear this. It's mm-hmm. going to challenge a whole bunch of thoughts in their brains because you don't question kind of where where, where you've believed something all your life. Mm-hmm. You don't. It's hard to pull that apart. But it, but um, so the, why inflation in in the first place? Like why right. why do we believe that we need inflation? And what you'll hear is, well, people will stop buying, right? And what you'll hear is, well, people won't buy. And I would say, would you use this technology we're using right now if there wasn't inflation? Of course you would. Yeah. Because it gives you value. Would you buy a new iPhone next year if it gave you enough value, even though you know two years later it's going to be more valuable or it's going to get more value? 
Of course you would. Mm-hmm. You, uh, would you buy food? Of course you would. So there are things you wouldn't buy. But when you design a system that essentially says, because what is inflation? It is really theft in the monetary layer. Can you explain that? And who, who's stealing? So it, and, and, and it's, what it does is it transfers. So inflation is wage deflation. It's exactly the, the opposite side of the coin. That makes so, sense to me. Yeah. So it'd be like if there was an inflation every year, getting told you're getting a demotion and, or your, your salary is going down by 2%. Yeah. So yeah. So it, yeah. Inflation and prices it, in the market stay the same, but you make less. Go, go up, you make less in real terms. You make less. If you yeah. save money, if you save cash, that cash is destroyed in value every year. So, it, so, so you're, you have a belief system that says we need inflation, which is really a theft. And that theft transfers wealth from the middle class and poor to the rich and um, at a greater and greater rate. So, and we don't question how much we question 2% inflation is okay instead of 5% or 10%. And instead of questioning, why do we have a theft built into our monetary layer? And, and why is that? So there's a belief system that says we should have a theft built into our monetary layer because we can't live productively without it. And, mm-hmm. and, and that belief system is just wrong. <laughs> um, we can live productively. That's what the point of technology is. It's supposed to reduce uh, our time as we use technology. Why do you think... I own or on boards of lots of different technology companies. And the only reason they're successful is if they deliver more value to society and people use them. And the point of delivering more value is you get more for less. That's why you're using Google. That's why you use Amazon. That's why you use this technology. And so we all are deciding with our time to get more value. Yet we have a system designed exactly the opposite. So what would happen in that system as a byproduct of needing inflation and, and, um, and needing inflation to pay back debt that can't be repaid. So what, what would the world look like in that scenario that must keep growing at all costs and will print money to, to do so? What the world would look like is more and more people understanding that, more and more people leveraging up to buy houses and assets. BlackRock itself, financial players into buying houses and real estate and everything else. And those then rents go up higher and higher. And a whole bunch of people that are left out of that because they don't own the assets, they don't own the houses, they own, don't own the stocks. They just have wages or they just have savings. Those people are getting killed. Mm-hmm. And then as, as more and more people are left out of society and, or, and they're working harder and harder in a system that is saying to them, you can't keep up because we need to create more inflation, more inflation, which is transferring more wealth to the rich faster, more, more control of the government faster and faster. They're having a hard time. And, and so you, you have people stuck inside a system that they can't escape. And do policymakers also fear this deflation you're talking about? Well, and, and that's actually where, and I, I'm, I'm just kind of talking about first principles here mm-hmm. on all of these things and, and, and why the game looks like this. Policymakers mm-hmm. desperately fear deflation and they should. And, and, the, and, and, and so I'm not specifically saying, and what, 
if they allow and regulators yeah. and, and regulators, but let's say policymakers first, let's say the fed to, today stops printing money. So right. we know if they print money, they're essentially diluting your time, right? Because all money is, is, is a trade of your time. You don't want, more you want, you actually want probably more time. That's true. Yeah. Right? Philosophically. Yes. That makes sense to me. Philosophically, we want, we, we trade our time for money, which we hope to spend later on. And, and, and the money is, is an abstract concept for the things we really want. We, we, we can buy more time. We can have vacation. We can, we can have more things or to spend more time with our family. That's an abstract, abstract concept. So when you're diluting time, when you have corruption and money, you have corruption everywhere as a byproduct. Mm-hmm. society. And so that's what's happening. And that's happening to having to happen at a great. So imagine who should have control over all people who can press a button and steal 40 years of your labor by pressing a button, because that's really what's happening. And so what yeah. would, what would society look like under that? I mean, in that sense, it almost sounds like a religious belief, Jeff. It's, it's almost like this is just the way it is. And we're attached to an old, almost a moral system as well. Like you, you work for your whole life and that's what you do. You give your life to a career and that's really outdated now. And technology is, is a force that will not be stopped and will continue to prove that to us. It sounds like. Well, so why are a lot of people confused? Because Mm -hmm. they're totally two different systems, but they're measuring the system from a system. Okay. Why they're confused on, on this. And so we go back to your question, why are policymakers uh, afraid of deflation? Because if you allow the natural market with the amount of credit that's in the system, if you let deflation, it would unwind to the ground. When I say the ground, all the banks would fail. Everything would fail. Hospitals would fail. There'd be no food on shelves. There would be, as, as the real market showed its force and and... And it would then you'd have people would barter. What does that look like? What is as you rebuild? Probably into that vacuum, dictators would uh, rise to power to be able to convince people it's not your fault, it's that person's fault. So that's if you allowed a deflationary spiral to take place. So there is no, and, and because of our personal need, what we want to believe is is there's a free lunch. So if a politician said to you or said to an audience. Here's the truth. We're hiding all of the real taxes in inflation, and we're going to stop that and let the market reset. And we can only pay for services that we can pay for. Who would vote that politician in? No one. Right. right? No one. <laughs> so, it so wouldn't get off the ground, right? It wouldn't get off the ground. So, so we won't elect anybody who says that. Um, we'll elect instead people who say, it's those people's fault over there. It's those rich people's fault. And we're going to tax them more without realizing that you could tax 100% of all of them and it couldn't even close to pay for the debt you have. The, the debt has so, so that politician will print more money, steal money faster. Now think about the game board that that sets up. So if you're, if you're where a whole bunch of people, I, I'm assuming you would see, I see in the hospital and everything else, middle class, poor, and, and, um, and and they're in, they're losing hope in the correct yeah and so let's imagine a monopoly game board for for a moment and let's say in in monopoly you can see if you get lucky early 
and you land on the right properties as you go around that game board, you collect more properties and you keep going around and you keep going around and there's incentive and what it creates is a positive feedback loop that, that more times you go around that board, if you get lucky on the right spots and get the right houses and hotels, you win the game. But the negative feedback loop happens to somebody else in the game. Mm-hmm. The negative feedback loop is they get more and more poor until they go bankrupt. And either somebody tips the game board over or, um, or, or they end the game and you restart a new game, what, what it looks like. But imagine that game would never fail. Imagine you could never lose the game. And if you have all the houses and you have all the assets and, the, and somebody's printing more money, you're getting richer and richer and richer. And then a whole bunch of people down the bottom can't get around to go anymore. What would they do? Would they go to, would, would they go to and elect other people to say, I need more money, universal basic income or anything else? Probably, right? Mm-hmm. I need more money. And if you printed more money to do that, essentially what you do is make the assets even more expensive and give them $400 to get around the game board. And that and seems kind of obvious too, you know? It, it seems obvious, but, but people aren't putting the pieces. Right. People, people, because people don't very often question the root cause and, and all the way back to what's causing the whole thing in the first place. It's uh, easier, also, yeah, it's easier to believe it's a people mm-hmm. problem than a system problem. Right. Would this also be true, Jeff, just by raising the floor of salaries? So it's the same thing because you're same going, thing, right? Yeah. So, so if you think about this, what, doesn't address the fundamental problem. Yeah, what would naturally happen if you raise prices? So today everything goes up. But people say those those businesses raising prices because of the supply chain constraint caused by the printing of money, mm-hmm. making prices go up and making things break. And now businesses are stuck in the middle. Consumers want lower prices. And everything else and businesses are margins are getting squeezed and labor can't pay for all the prices that rises everywhere else and they're wanting price rises and the business are saying okay i need to automate faster i need to remove labor faster to be able to automate faster and they use the technology to be able to automate faster and as more jobs go away government prints faster to stop the deflationary forces that are natural in the market and so, so it's all connected. Yeah, right. people are inside the system and they can't see uh, see it happening. So when you when you talk about deflation and technology, it, it just gives me the image of, in my mind of like using Google, as you mentioned, or a search engine. I think people who are born in the internet already exist don't even realize how deflationary that is. Meaning like I get on the internet and it's just synonymous in my mind with a bar that I can type anything into, but that's actually a technology, a service. And it's equivalent to like what a King would have a hundred years ago, which would be a library of all the books of the world and a staff of 10,000 people looking through all those books to bring you the quote that he wants at the moment he wants it. And you would have to be the wealthiest person of the world in the world to do that. Now, what's, what's strange to me then is that that obviously means that knowledge is, is free yeah, or close to free, right? But like you're saying with the banks and with inflation, this other force, would it, wouldn't it also be true with education? So 
So educate. I, I, yeah, I, I say often on these, education is already free. Certification's not. That, that's what I'm saying. So what we're so we're talking about a social construct then, because knowledge is free. Yeah. Certification is not. So so you're not. So we still call say it's really expensive to get educated. Um, but what that really means is it's, it's really expensive to go to the school to get this degree. And I'm saying that having gone to you know a good school at Georgetown. Let's, let's, let's pull on that string. Okay. Just, so so why does that exist? Because our beliefs exist longer than than the actual technology changes the world. Right. So our beliefs. It's a and, philosophical problem, right? So, so we and we live in these mental prisons, and we think because when I grew up. It required an education. You didn't have the internet like it was today, and it required going to school to be able to gain that that knowledge. And the people that did that had a better a better chance than others to get great jobs. You created a system that right. did that, and then the whole bunch of people that had better jobs and better access then wanted their kids to have the same thing. But it's already changed. I can it's tell you. From, I, I can tell you from hiring thousands of people. I hire, I, I don't care one bit about education. I care about somebody that's constantly curious, always learning. And it doesn't matter what degree or any, if they have a degree at all. And, well, and, yeah. and, and those people that are accountable to their education always outperform everybody else. So when I, uh, so when I, when I say, say that, that's what's already existent in the world today. And entrepreneurs like me, are now utilizing that arbitrage and value for people that are learning faster to be able to create better businesses. And I would imagine anyone in that field in tech knows they want the person that can generate, can create. It doesn't matter what. Doesn't doesn't matter what. Edu- uh, well, why would education matter in this? It used, it used to matter. It used to matter because Correct. it was the only way to access the knowledge. Today, it's different. That's you right. Because it's the only way to access the knowledge. But we're still beholden to a, to an idea that, so, so I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I see two things and I connect this back to anxiety and, and part of the anxiety is a shame. So you can tell people, Hey, look, you have, you're actually wealthier in some respects than a King hundreds of years ago, or the wealthiest people in, in America a hundred years ago. I mean, in 1920, affluent people would give in New York would give somebody an orange for Christmas because it was so hard to to obtain that, and so there are, there are things we can experience, but there are two things that that I see that are, are still difficult. It's difficult to get an education um, because it, I mean, it could be a quarter million dollars for by the time you know people are getting through college today, and then rent and housing are, go, are going up. So there's a shame in the sense that people are thinking you have it better than anyone in human history has ever had it. And then it's like, well, then why am I so anxious? It's because there are gatekeepers, at the social gatekeepers, like our social currency is still tied to your labor, what people will pay you to do, your career, and the gatekeepers protecting that are institutions, educational institutions. And then, and then millennials are being told they're not working hard enough because I think previous generations are thinking... And, and I can remember my own life when I was a kid, you could go work at the tire factory in town and buy a house yeah. without even finishing high school. Yeah, and and so you, you absolutely cannot, you can't go to 
college and go get your entry level job in my house. Yeah. You might not ever be able to comfortably buy a house depending on where you live. Yeah. You know, PhD people going going to Google or Facebook have to like split an apartment with six people in San Francisco. So it doesn't matter how how convenient it is to get knowledge when there are still guardians at the gates of uh, entering into a meaningful role in society and fearing that you won't be able to have a home. And I also think that in in this transition, this this painful transition that you're describing, it you could almost get a sense that the the bottom is much lower than our predecessors. Meaning, like if you're if you're homeless or struggling or you're a single parent today in, in a major city, it could be a really, really bad life. Or if you're look, in, in look, a look, look, poor look neighborhood. At, look at San Francisco today. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. In, in two I years, go there a lot. And, yeah, and look at San yeah. Francisco today. In two years, what's happened? And look at look at it around. It's it's coming everywhere because because that's what you're doing to society. And people look at those people and they say, just work harder. Um, that's what I'm saying. You know, that's the message. And that's creating suicidality false. in young people. Exactly. And it's patently false. Now, I and I have a hard time, and this is where we need to be careful. I um, I believe in fair rules. I don't believe in equality because, and when I say equality, I mean that there will always be people that will work harder, and their skills in a free market are worth more at a certain time than other people. But I do, I do care that the rules are fair for everybody. So, so right. So you believe in equality of opportunity, exactly. And that people, and and that, 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 so if you think about that system, how it is today, Mm -hmm. that system, um, and I had a debate with one of my friends who's very wealthy the other day about this because his kids will be fine. My kids will be fine because we grew up in that system. He worked harder, created his own business, and he has all the protection in the world. I said, and so my kids will be afforded that opportunity. And I said, you mean not from their own hard work? You mean because 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 the rules print money to be able to make your work more valuable and to destroy somebody else's? Is that why you is that what you want to teach your kids? And I said because I don't want to teach my kids that. I want to teach my I want to teach my kids that that they should work hard and under fair rules for society rather than rather than manipulated rules. Yeah, and so. When, so if we go back to the 2008 financial crisis, when fraudulent, I guess you could say fraudulent behavior is re- rewarded uh, or, or protected, then you have a crony capitalism, right? But, it, but, it, but real capitalism would have, as, as you described in your book, would have cleansed that, so to speak. It would have flushed the system. But the problem with it, and that's why the great flushing the system would have taken down the system. So, mm-hmm. so in, that, in, that, in that time uh, at Bell Direct, we had LCs, it was hundreds of millions or hundred and something million dollars in value uh, in, in sales. And we had letters of credit with all corresponding banks all over the world. And we had lots of money in the bank. And, and for three days, four days, nobody would take our money. Why? Because the money, the world's, because people, there was no money. It was a credit obligation. And, and when Lehman collapsed and everything started to accelerate, all of the other banks wondered, what, did they actually have the money to be able to transfer? And so you just had a, had a stopping of, of, the, of the 
rails of commerce globally that they needed, they came in and bailed out. Now the bailing out of that system, kick the can down the road and make the problem way bigger, broke a free market forever because it, it, because what it meant is the government will always socialize losses and protect the winners. And once you, once you do that, so they pick the pocket of all of society to transfer for the, to the people who made the bad bets. And once you do that, you know, then everybody making bad bets close to finance and everything else knows they can go lever as much as they want. Mm-hmm. Bad bets will be bailed out forever. So you distort all of rules, all of the mm-hmm. economic policy um, uh, globally to be able to save. Uh, save. And, and yet at the same time, the, the lawmakers aren't doing that for that reason, not necessarily to reward them, but because they don't want there to be chaos under their watch. Oh, right. They have to kick the can down the road. They have to. And, and, and this is actually why it's more important to think about this as a systems problem. Mm-hmm. And a system, and a system, the, the existing system, no matter what government you would elect, cannot fix this problem. It's unfixable because if door number one, if they allow deflation, the entire market resets. If they keep doing this this policy, inflation to, to try to pay, pay back debt and to they distort society, and you have revolution wars as people turn against each other. You uh, you have what you see today in the streets times ten. It gets worse and worse and worse, and it turns into global conflict. There is only door one and door two. There's no other door through through the existing system. That's why. Um, and, and in the in the book, I talk like there's one paragraph about Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, go ahead. And it's and it's at the end. But the world needs a transition mechanism to the other side. They, it needs a, a, a currency that can allow for deflation. And that's what Bitcoin is becoming. And, and since writing the book, I'm becoming deeper and deeper and deeper. And I've looked everywhere and I'm open to uh, other possibilities, but I have not yet seen a possibility to get us to the other side of a system that's c- congruent to where humanity is going to that is not Bitcoin. Nothing I've l- looked at. And, and I know the system can't fix itself. Yeah, it's impossible. No matter who you elect in the system, the system won't fix itself. It, it, it'll only make things worse. And so you need a bridge to the other side. And, and I would imagine it's no coincidence that Bitcoin emerged in the wake of the 2008. <laughs> Interesting. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, he- hearing you talk, it's, it's, I get a sense of what's different about Bitcoin compared to other cryptocurrencies. And it's you've said that the other cryptocurrencies won't provide that same hopeful path because they're not open source and peer to peer in the same way because they have centralization. People have created it and they, they have a financial incentive to regulate it. Um, is there anything else that I, that I yeah, so, need to understand so- about why Bitcoin versus the other coins? Um, and you know how long you could spend on this topic, right? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, I guess so for a bunch of your audience, simplest way for the audience. Yeah, for a bunch of your listeners, just please investigate it, and I implore you to investigate it with an open mind because it's that important. That's that that important for where we're where we're going. Um, 
instead of the kind of, because it's easy to dismiss it because there's a whole bunch of people wanting to get rich quick in the whole system and everything else, or people that are, uh, that, that it's too, it's hard to understand. So it's easy to dismiss it. And when you hear something the first time or times your belief system will want to protect the old belief system. Can so I just I, add to that then real quick too? I think also for people who don't know anything about Bitcoin, uh, the terminology cryptocurrency has a negative connotation. It sounds like something illegal. And yeah. I've heard that from people in fields, in, in the fields that, I, that I'm associated with. And I think another narrative that continues to get pushed onto the public is that it's bad for the environment because of the energy required in mining. Yeah. And yet well, I've heard you explain that inflation yeah. is actually the cause of climate change or climate change is baked into inflation. Yeah, and it's it's again it's hard to see from measuring the world from one uh, one one system and a new system taking over. Mm -hmm. So if you believe that the that technology is supposed to reduce prices, make pro productivity or pro increase productivity, which reduces prices, then then the only way for that broad based abundance to be transferred to society is through a currency that allows for deflation. Because every other system, inflation, manipulation of currency, concentrates wealth and power faster. So the faster technology is moving, you have to faster offset that with an inflationary monetary policy. So primarily, the only way you could get to what I'm talking about, cross the chasm from one system to a different system, is with a with a technology or with a currency that allows for that deflation. So then look through and we know governments can't do it because it would collapse their system. Right. And I was going to ask you that it, it cannot happen. Not happen within the, government. No, it okay. cannot happen within government because they wouldn't make that, they wouldn't allow their system to collapse and actually collapsing their system would be terrible for the population. So it will not happen within government. I think that's so, really important for people to understand it, because it, there is a, a sort of wait and see, um, same with climate change, that we just trust that at, at the 11th hour, people at the top will, will do something. We'll I'm gonna the right call. Dots on, yeah, I'm going to connect the dots on all of these. Okay. Can't happen. And, it can't, and, and so you must have for technology to be able to allow for lower prices and abundance gained from that technology, you must have a deflationary currency that, can, that governments cannot allow from their own system. So it has to be a new system. Of all systems, now you'd say, okay, what system could that look like? We used to have a gold system that, pro that did that, gold-backed system. But on top of a gold-backed system, because the, because the currency had to be, because you couldn't transport gold around and pay in gold, you centralized gold and built a credit-based system on top of gold. Because of the centralization of gold, gold was always captured and repriced in, um, by government. So it never solved the problem for a long time. Now you have a technology, and when you go to proof of work in, in Bitcoin, proof of work is the thing that keeps it decentralized. And proof of work is the mining and the, and, and the energy requirement to keep it decentralized. What that is in Bitcoin is a design policy was implemented into code and baked into code that forever keeps it out of, um, and it sacrifices some things. It sacrifices fast speed, for instance, on the primary network for security. 
so security is is primarily the most um, most important in uh, um, in in Bitcoin, and so so proof of work is is what does that. Um, and we and and people talk about the energy requirement of uh, of proof of uh, proof of work, like it's a bad thing. Right. Oh, let's connect it to the the in, inflationary policy. So we have a new system de- developing that essentially, by nature, transfers the technology abundance to everybody else. And the only system that can do that is something that's decentralized out of control of government. So that's what Bitcoin is. And that lower price and everything else uh, that drives your time up as a value as prices fall, fall in relation to that. And we have a different system that must grow forever against that and will manipulate money to do so. And so that system that we currently live in to create inflation, and I'm on boards of countless technology companies in food, agriculture, and everything else. And I can tell you for, for a fact that some of what's coming to provide the abundance is, is massively deflationary to food, giving you more for less, giving more value. To be able to offset that, because if the prices were allowed to fall, the existing system would fail. To be able to offset that, government needs to print way more money fast, faster to be able to concentrate that, steal that productivity and and and, t- and then we all need to work two jobs, three jobs to keep up with that, have two cars to keep up with it, to keep, keep up in the uh, mess, to make oil prices go higher, print more money, because if you let it fall, the whole system would fail. And when you look through that lens, what you realize is inflation equals climate change. There is no way to solve climate change. I can tell you for a fact, I'm on a whole bunch of technology boards that are solving climate change, but they can never solve climate change because the inflationary from the system, because the inflationary system must push prices higher and offset that result no matter what. And, and so when you look through that lens and you realize that Bitcoin is the only thing that can take that inflationary policy away from governments and put kind of the abundance in our hands, you realize that the proof of work, I wish there was more energy needed for Bitcoin because, because it, it makes, it, what it does is it securitizes that or secures that network and it, it's, a, it's a feature of the system. And from that new system, you would solve climate change. I think I understand that. And, and since there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins, it doesn't have that, uh, that same risk that the current currency has of printing money. You're, you're, not on, you're not on an unstable system that right. must grow forever. Like it, if you just think about that, that system, the system we, we live in a system that must grow forever on a finite planet and will manipulate money to grow forever. Does that make sense? Right. Does no. that make sense that you could no. solve climate change from that system? It's impossible. It is the problem. So now, okay. So now we have an infrastructure bill that has something that has some provisions for cryptocurrency and taxing cryptocurrency and China's cracking down on their summer policy of uh, banning mining what what do you anticipate other countries doing you know from the perspective of gaming um 
to delay this or, or are there other obstacles that you see that, that could really threaten this hopeful path with Bitcoin? So, so a lot of people at this level would probably look, be looking at Bitcoin as the asset and the and and the the value of the asset and, and not understanding and I said Bitcoin proof of work uh, is slow in speed and and it is security to keep de- decentralization in the network so the mining and that whole security that's the asset value layer two of Bitcoin Lightning Network and the like is a payment system on top of Bitcoin that reinforces the primary layer and is lightning fast. And so today, El Salvador is the, uh, you can pay your grocery bills and you can pay for restaurants in Lightning Network. And it's faster, cheaper, far cheaper than Visa, credit card network, or the entire existing monetary network. You can transfer, you can transfer money around the world through this network for fractions of uh, 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 pennies. It's, it's incredible. And, and so now you have two network effects feeding back and making it more and more valuable all the time. What is likely to happen, and this is probably the most important thing with technology for for your listeners, um, we predict our current technology forward and current what technology does today forward instead of what it will do with more and more use cases and more more people on it. And we we also don't project how we will change our minds based on that. And so remember the first, uh, remember the first, uh, if some of the people are old enough to remember when Apple came out against BlackBerry. Yeah. And what people thought, they thought they were dealing with a phone and this, this uh, Apple's was a toy, right? I want my phone be, that has more buttons because I can type faster. And what happened? And, what, and, 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 and now it wasn't just a phone. It was a communication device, but it was also your AI. It was your calculator. It was my guitar tuner. It was your, your, your everything. Um, and we couldn't actually conceptualize that at the time. At the time, you wouldn't ever, phone. you wouldn't have conceptualized that. You wouldn't have seen it at all. And that's what technology does. It, it moves at a rate that when things come together, it, but, but people project their current forward and they don't project their minds will change as a result. And that's actually what's happening at Bitcoin today. It's like invest. It's like um, it, it's like being able to invest in the primary layer of the, in- the internet, TCP/IP, mm-hmm. and then the Lightning layer, layer on top is like uh, like being able to invest in companies like Amazon. And so, unlocking that value is changing, and what it will look like is more and more people, and the rate of growth of it is actually matching the internet. So it's just we're in 1997 of where Bitcoin is versus where the internet was, and so that's the that's the rate of growth and how fast it's growing. And so so and that that means all of the new innovation coming on top of it is still to be seen. That makes sense in the sense that in 1997 I was thinking. I mean, it takes 15 minutes to get in an AOL chat room. There's no Google. Facebook came out in 2008. The mm-hmm. iPhone was 2006. So, so these technologies, a bunch of these technologies were enabled by TCP IP, a communication t- network that drastically reduced the cost of communication from what was 
previously available and as more and more to, to what was then available. And it took time for all the roads and the innovation to be built on top of that. That's, what's, that's what it looks like today. So then why is El Salvador making the moves it's making and like buying up Bitcoin at every plunge? <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're looking at the, they're taking a longer view, obviously. So now think about, again, what technology, uh, what technology does. Um, by lowering the access, co- uh, uh, access cost, the people most hurt by the monopoly before are most helped by the new, tech- by the new technology. So who goes first when technology gotcha. opens up is always the people most, uh, uh, most hurt. So if you look uh, by the... So in, in you've used this example lots, but um, were the large advertisers the first people to build to Google, or was it the companies like my company who couldn't uh, pay the large advertising budgets, and we were blocked by the monopoly because right. we couldn't afford it? Uh-huh. What you did is you built to Google, and there's so many more of the small than the large that it tips. Same thing on Amazon. We're the first. We're the first people on Amazon shelves as far as the products on their shelves. The people that had access to to Walmart, or were they the hundreds of millions of other products that didn't have access to Walmart? And what ends up happening is the hundreds of millions move to the new technology, and they find other people. Wow, I never even knew that existed, which creates Amazon. <laughs> And drives everybody else, and so and that happens because the technology changes the rules, and the monopoly can't see the change of the rules. The only difference this time is that change is happening at the monetary level, and the rules have been designed in 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 U.S., Canada, G7 have been a beneficiary of an inflationary policy that actually had a lot of pain go to a lot of other countries. And, and so we're the privileged and we are like, in other words, as the privileged, we wouldn't see the change in the rules because we still can pay our bills without, in, in El Salvador, for instance, I think it's up to 30% to do a Western Union transfer to, uh, to El Salvador uh, from the US. It's, uh, it costs 8% to access a visa network to take a visa. And so when, when a technology comes in and reduces the cost to cent pennies, and I can do it whenever I want. Who do you think would go first? Somebody in, in, in Canada or the US where we, can, we have access to Visa Network or somebody who doesn't? And, and so what you're seeing globally is this massive adoption, which makes total sense from the long tail who have been most hurt. So what would be the message then to, to citizens about this path and like what would our responsibility be not necessarily to just invest everything you can tomorrow into bitcoin but to probably learn more about the philosophy uh to actually fight some of the the narratives that will be coming from the media about what's possible for the future i would imagine or what else could what else would you want to share with people about this message so why I say yes to podcasts like this, and remember, this isn't. There's no money in this. There's no right, Jeff. The, 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 why I say yes to this is you have an audience who is bound to be confused by what's going on, because most people are confused, rich, poor, yeah, including everyone. myself. Yeah, and 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 it, when people live in fear because of what's happening, they move 
to, to more narrow solutions and they can't see their way out of this. And so all around the world, we're, and, and actually it happens on both sides. So what do you think would happen with the very rich people that when, when, when social disturbance comes up, what do you think those people will vote for? They'll vote for more, uh, more police to be able to quell that, right? So fear, and, and on the bottom, that fear, I'm going to take it back. And so what this happens is pretty typical through the long arc of history. When you get to these points in, in, in a monetary system failing, you see upheavals and everything else. And so what you're doing by doing this and, and what is you're, you're opening eyes to people who can hopefully go and look for themselves and not just trust what we say, but look, maybe it's deeper than I thought. Right. And, and be and, and open and curious to be able to see if there's a bridge to the other side. As people, here's the most exciting thing about Bitcoin for me. We literally, all of us, um, just like any, any single thing we use, technology we use, idea we use, was an idea in somebody's mind first that then gets put into a product or a service that if enough people understand it, becomes our way of life. Think about the, the iPhone example, right? It was just an idea. And if it's a really good idea and a lot of people believe in it, it spreads. That's Bitcoin. And all of us as nodes talking about this idea, not paid to talk about this idea, right. talking about this idea to other people, that idea is catching on the rate of growth of Bitcoin is that emergent phenomenon that's creating that rate of growth as we create a bridge to the other side and walk across it. And yes, some of us are earlier on that bridge than others, but by walking across it and paving that road um, as that emergent network takes off, it provides a bridge for everybody to walk to the other side. Uh, that, that is the, the real hope then. So in the shorter scale then, we're struggling here in the United States with 10% inflation and the worst in 30 years. And what I see all around me is people not returning to work. And there's a lot of different ideas and anxieties about the labor shortage, the supply shortage, and the inflation. What do you think the next few months look like? And, and how does the current inflation either amplify or accelerate the message in your book? It's, it's, it is all connected. It has to happen as a result. So Powell just, uh, just talked about tightening. And as he talked about tightening, you could see the sell-off in the markets last week, including in Bitcoin. Right. Right. Um, and be, that's because if he continues to tighten. Is that the connection of this big uh, sell-off yeah. Saturday so, night? So that's, that's the connection to So that's the start of it. And then, and then also there was a bunch of leverage in Bitcoin. That people betting on the futures that uh, and and um, and and leverage. If you went, if you lever something in a free market, that it, you're not going to get bailed out. You it could go the wrong way on you badly, and so a whole bunch of people got wiped out because they applied massive leverage to a system to try to gain to gain at the expense, and it went the other way. So, but it could have gone the other way because Powell's talking about tightening. Right. And then, and they, these things have a, if you have leverage in a system, it can remember in our existing system, 
it's not allowed to fail. So every time stock market starts coming down for a bunch, more liquidity is pumped in. But that doesn't happen in Bitcoin. <laughs> Free market is showing you. So, so no more. So the, mm-hmm. the only way more money is coming in is if more people believe and they're, buy, they're buying as that leverage is getting wiped out. So that's what, so, so those two things are happening in Bitcoin just recently and they're connected. But if Powell doesn't print, the world's going to tip over into a deflationary spiral and the debt is going to start unwinding. And that would mean eventually if you just kept doing that, banks would start failing. It would look like Lehman all over again and it would keep on, it would keep on collapsing which means it is highly unlikely that that's going to happen. Far more likely is that Fed is going to posture to do that, pretend to do this. Market's going to start rolling over and they're going to have to be forced to print a whole bunch more money. So it's so I'd be very careful in, in trying to predict. Um, <laughs> if you follow my tweets, so I, I often say, um, which snowflake causes the avalanche? And I can't predict which event causes the avalanche, what this looks like. I can just say you're building more and more fragility into a system and anything could start to topple it from, from revolution, from uprisings to, to global conflict, to, um, to a whole bunch of things. There's so much fragility in the system. Um, and, and, and Bitcoin is an escape valve on both sides. It's an escape valve from inflation. It's an escape valve from deflation. It's a. It, it's actually the best way to look like look at it is everything I said in my book about prices falling forever. If you measure in Bitcoin, prices will fall forever. So the problem is we measure in in U.S. currency or we measure in Canadian currency, and we think our house is going up in value when it's actually going down against Bitcoin forever. appreciate your wisdom, Jeff. Thank you so much for taking time to talk about these things. And it's meaningful also for my listeners because there are people who are compassionate and they're progressive-minded people, but oftentimes we're thinking, like you've described, only in terms of solving these problems within the system. Mm-hmm. People want this infrastructure built when they don't understand by by more inflation, we are kicking the can down the road and creating escape velocity with inequality because of how it's taken from the middle and put to the top. So, yeah, I think you give us a lot to reflect on. And, um, I, you know, I hope people will, will be able to look deeper then into the possibilities with the, with the new system and this bridge that you're talking about. Um, can you share with us before we wrap up how people could follow you and stay connected with, with your ideas, with your work. Probably best is on Twitter. Just at Jeff Booth on Twitter is, uh, is probably where I'm most ac- active. I, uh, um, every once in a while, I write some more content and typically today, instead of write a new book, I'll just put it out for free, but, uh, um, but, uh, but probably best on Twitter. Okay. Thanks so much, Jeff. And again, Jeff Booth's book is called the price of tomorrow. Why deflation is the key to an abundant future. Thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate your time today. And I'll let Thanks. you get to, get back to all the meaningful things you're, you're doing and, uh, and your family. So have a happy holidays there in Vancouver. And I hope to connect again with you, Jeff. Would love that, Todd. Thanks very much. You're very welcome.